Man, you guys do better than the kids. Half the time when I say good morning to them, they're like, good morning. And then I have to ask them, which one of you guys didn't eat your Wheaties? And they're like, we don't eat Wheaties. Donuts. Donuts is what we do on Sunday. Um, anyway, it's great to be with you all today. I love every opportunity I get to come and, and be in the main service here with you guys. You all look so beautiful to me. Well, I don't want to start off by lying. Maybe 95% of you look so beautiful to me. But um, anyway, I'm just I'm so blessed to have this opportunity, and thank you for or all for being here. So um, in the last couple of weeks, I was actually we were sitting on the on the deck over at the parsonage, and we were talking about you know the, the difference between Mother's Day and Father's Day, and we talked about how. Um, in, in the past, you would always, you know, recognize the mothers. You might say, okay, who's the youngest mother here? Who's the oldest mother here? Who's got the most kids here? You know, and, and, and you do all those kinds of things, and you'd recognize all the mothers. And that just seems really complicated. Um, but we never do that for the men. But we're going to simplify it because men th- like things simple. So if you're a father in this house today, I just want you to raise your hand. All right? And I want to salute you all with a good manly grunt. We don't need flowers, we don't need uh, boutonnieres or whatever that we do for the women. You got the manly grunt of approval, so there you go. All right, so if you have your Bibles with me today, or with you today, um, we're all going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 32, and we're going to read verses 17 through 19. So I'll give you guys a uh, a chance to get there. Always dangerous to start off in Jeremiah. He wasn't necessarily the most popular guy. But I like this this verse right here. All right, and if you're there, we're going to read. It says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show unfailing love to thousands, but you also bring the consequences of one's generation's sins upon the next. You are the great and powerful God, the Lord of heaven's armies. You have all wisdom and do great and mighty miracles. You see the conduct of all people and give them what they deserve. If you'd all join me now, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this Father's Day. Thank you for this opportunity to come together with men and women who love you and who are placing you first in their life. Lord God, I pray that you would just bless this time that we have together. I pray that you would anoint me to say only those things that you would have me say, Lord, to speak through me. And Lord, I pray that you would anoint the congregation to hear what you would speak into their lives today. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you because we know that you've given us godly fathers and you yourself are our father and we thank you for that and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so for years now, scientists have been struggling with this question of whether nature or nurture is the the largest factor in who we turn out to be as a person. Um, You know, are our fates determined during that moment when our unique pattern of DNA comes together and and you are a unique person at conception, Does, does that DNA, does that genetic profile, does that determine who you are? Or is it more the environment that you grow up in, the culture that you're born into, the nation that you're born into that helps shape who you are? Now, obviously, there is a mix of the two, but it's hard to figure out where that dividing line falls because when we look at it, we do see patterns that go through families, but we also recognize that uh, those patterns aren't necessarily self-determining prophecies. 
And so while we may never figure out exactly the definitive answer of how much of our personality and our life is nature versus how much is nurture, there is quite a bit of research out there, and uh, sometimes it reveals some rather tragic results. See, scientists have clearly demonstrated that marriage and divorce patterns, they get passed along from generation to generation. Um, If you come from a family of divorce, um, then you are far less likely to have a positive view of marriage, and the chances that your own marriage will end in divorce are much higher than someone who comes from an intact family. In a similar way, victims of abuse are much more likely to abuse their own children. And you can also find these patterns uh, when you're discussing abandonment, substance abuse, financial instability, unhealthy lifestyles, diet and exercise habits, and even uh, negative personality traits. All of these things, you can see a pattern of how they pass from from father to son, mother to daughter, and they, they go down through the lines. And, and when we start to think about that, you know, it can be kind of disheartening, but that's only part of the story. Um, research also shows us that individuals can choose to break this chain. They can make a conscious decision that I'm not going to be like what came before. I'm not going to be, you know, boxed in by what my family has always done in the past. And, and so this is what uh, scientists call a transitional person. And that's the title of my message today. We're going to talk about what it means to be a transitional person. Um, the family uh, researcher Carl, Carlfred Broderick, wouldn't you like to have that name? Carlfred Broderick describes what a transitional person looks like. All right, and, and I know this is kind of a long quote, but I, it, it perfectly sums up what we're talking about here. A transitional person is a person who, in a single generation, changes the entire course of a lineage. The most noteworthy examples are those individuals who grow up in abusive, emotionally destructive environments and who somehow find a way to metabolize that poison and they refuse to pass it on to their children. They break the mold. They refute the observation that abused children become abusive parents, that the children of alcoholics become alcoholic adults, that the sins of our fathers are visited upon the heads of children to the third and fourth generation. Their contribution to humanity is to filter the destructiveness out of their own lineage so that the generations downstream will have a supportive foundation upon which to build a productive life. I don't know about you, But that sounds like the kind of person I want to be. I want to leave behind a lasting legacy uh, that will echo down the generations to my family. I want to be, I want to be like a diving board. I want to be a springboard for my for my children and my grandchildren that will launch them into an unprecedented season of, of blessing and favor in their life. When they look back on me, I don't want them to see me as someone who dragged the family down. I want them to see me as someone who put us on the right path. And so, how do we do this? Well, I'm going to share a few thoughts with you today about how you can begin this process of being a transitional person in the life of your family. Um, Number one is we need to find our identity and own it, okay? Our society is obsessed with finding our identity. We label other people. We label ourselves. We, We craft these very careful personas that we present 
on, on Facebook and, and to friends and relatives. You know, you, the hair's got to be just right. You got to be wearing the good clothes. You know, we, we, we craft this very carefully. We're controlling, you know, like a company would call it, controlling their, the message of their brand. We do that. We, we almost, we do. We have personal brands. If you look at celebrities and, and athletes and rock stars, they, they do. They, they have people who help them to craft their personal brand so that they're only presenting those things that we want everybody else to see. We look at all sorts of different things to label ourselves. Um, we look at, you know, our jobs. We define ourselves by where we work and, and what we do for our livelihood. We define ourselves by our characteristics. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the gym rat, or I'm, I'm the blonde, or I'm the, you know, whatever. We define ourselves by those things. We define ourselves by the music preferences that we have. You know, well, I like jazz, or I'm a country girl, or, you know, whatever. I'm not a country girl, for the record. Nothing wrong with country music. I'm just not a country girl. All right. Um, we define ourselves by our fashion choices. You know, are you a guy who wears jeans to church or are you a suit and tie all the time? You know, are you the person who always has like the latest fashionable duds or are you out there in cargo shorts and a T-shirt? Whatever. You know, we'll define ourselves by who we are. Uh, in, in our fashion choices. We define ourselves by our, our fandom, right? Um, I'm a fan of this band, or I'm a fan of, of this sports team, or I'm a fan of, of this athlete. Um, and so it becomes like a, a tribal way of identifying ourselves to others. Go Chicago Bears. All right. We define ourselves by our hobbies and our interests. You know, I, I'm a musician. I, I'm, a, I'm a book nerd. You know, we, all these different things we use because it, it creates a shorthand where we can describe ourselves to other people, right? And that's a natural desire. It's a normal thing to want to figure out who you are and where you fit into this society. That's a normal thing. But the problem comes when we choose to define ourselves instead of accepting the definition that God has given us. Because, you know, no matter who you are, if you're tall or short, fat or skinny, black, white, purple, or whatever, we're all God's children. And it doesn't matter if, if you like the Chicago Bears or those Green Bay pukers, you know. Um, you know, whoever you are, we're all God's children. And um, it's interesting. If you look in the Bible, it, it talks about that. It tries to remind you that this is who God sees you as. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, uh, it calls us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's people, and recipients of mercy. Now, I don't know about you, but I would much rather be known by those things right there than by any band that I follow, by any books I read, by any music genre. That's what I want people to look at me and see. We find this, the reason that we don't accept that, though, is because we find it hard to believe. It's too good to be true, right? And, and we almost seem to reject how God describes us reflexively. We don't even think about it. You know, I, well, I can't be forgiven. It's too good to be true. I can't be uh, part of the royal priesthood. I've done too many terrible things in my life. And so we, it's, just, it's like a reflex. We don't even think about it. We just automatically say, God, you can't be right. I can't be all these things that you say I am. But if we want to be a transitional person in our family, we have to learn how to accept that that is who we are. That's how God sees us. And once we see that identity... We have to own it. We have to run with it. Okay? 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are a new creation. The old man has passed away, so it doesn't matter what happened in the past. It doesn't matter how many generations of alcoholics you have. It doesn't matter how long you were addicted to something. You're a new creation when you're in Christ. We must embrace that fact. When you look in the mirror every morning, you need to look at it and you need to see yourself as a child of God. You know, I, I, my wife and I, we, we kind of talk, and it's kind of funny because, you know, I just, I think she's beautiful, she's smart, uh, there's no better woman on the planet, that's why I picked her, right? When I look in the mirror, though, I see someone who's smart, someone who's handsome, I mean, who wouldn't want to be with me? But I joke around that Elizabeth and I, uh, we must not use the same mirror because, you know, she'll look in the mirror and she'll be like, well, I don't like the way my hair looks today, or I don't like this about myself, or I got a zit somewhere, or my clothes don't hang right on me, or what, you know, whatever. And, and we can do that. We get this distorted view of ourselves, and, and we can't do that. We have to look in the mirror, look yourself in the eye, and tell yourself to buck up because God loves you and you're His child and it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Nothing can change that fact. That's the first step to becoming a transitional person is finding your identity in God and then owning it. Number two, we have to be intentional. Once you have begun to accept your new identity in Christ, we must become intentional. And intentional is just a big fancy word that means having a plan and putting it into, into uh, motion. So when I come to the church every morning and I sit down at the desk, first thing I do is I make a to-do list for the day. Now, the to-do list might change. I might have to add things to it. I might have to push something off to the next day. But it doesn't matter how neatly I do my to-do list. It doesn't matter if I keep it all on my phone and set it to give me reminders and all that kind of stuff. I can do all of that work. But unless I actually do the tasks that are on my list... It doesn't do me any good. And so we have to, um, you know, if we desire to be a transitional person, we have to get up and do something. We have to start to make a change. That word transmit, transition means change. So you have to do something. You have to do anything that will begin that process of moving your family out of the old way and the old pattern and into a new one. In his book called Fighting for Marriage, Scott Stanley identifies two types of people in marriages. He says that there are gliders and there are deciders. You can, um, you know, if you're a glider, gliding's easy. You know, it's like water. Water always follows the path of least resistance, right? If, it, if, there, if there's a hill, it's going to go down it. If there's a channel that it can run down, it's going to go down that. And so gliding is easy. You can just go with the flow. You can ride those air currents wherever they might take you. But if you're just gliding, you're probably not going to land at the airport you want to go to, right? You need some way of changing your direction. You need some way of steering your way back on course. And that's what a decider does. A decider sees a goal. They see a purpose that's worth all the effort. It's worth all the struggle. It's worth all the, yes, pain. There will be pain when, when it comes to change. But they say the, the effort, the struggle, the pain is worth what's gonna, what's, what I'm going to arrive at. Christian Rutland likes to do his flexies, right? But if you want to be swole like Christian, you got to go through the pain of being in the gym, right? Of lifting the weights, of doing all that. It's not fun in there. Well, maybe it's fun for you. It ain't fun for me, which is why I'm not swole, right? But 
you know, a decider says, this is how I want things to be, and I'm going to do those things that are going to get me to that place. They know that this is the only way that they can see their family and steer them onto a correct path. So when you decide, I don't like the way my family is, I don't like this particular aspect of the way we are, then you have to be intentional. You have to make a plan and you have to follow through on it to get yourself to that place. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, God gives the Israelites a very clear plan on how to be intentional about ensuring that their faith doesn't die with them, but their faith gets passed on to the following generations. Let's read that. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See, God knew it wasn't enough just to say, well, we love God. We go to church every now and then. He said, no, this has to be a daily thing. All right? We can't just be Sunday Christians. We can't live for God one day a week and expect it to stick. Right? If we want to be godly people, it has to be part of our daily life. It has to be on your lips when you wake up, and it has to be on your lips when you go to bed. You have to be thinking about it all day. You know, it's, a, it's really hard to cuss out that other driver that cuts you off when you've been singing praises. You know? Good water and foul water doesn't come out of the same well. And so that's why we have to focus and we have to make living for God a part of our daily life. If you want to change your family's culture, it takes work. And here's some of the things you're going to have to do. You're going to have to reassess your priorities. You're going to have to decide what are the things that are important to us. Is it important to us that we give tithe and offering? Is it important to us that we're consistent in church attendance? Is it important to us that we're serving or helping the needy in some way? Is it important to us that, we, you know, and so you assess all of these different things in your life, and if you're trying to get to a particular place, you might look at some of those habits, you might look at some of those patterns in your family's life, and you might decide, listen, this is a counterproductive activity. You might decide, this thing is not getting me closer to God. This thing is not helping my children to have a better walk with Jesus. These things are actually standing in the way of the progress that we need to make in our lives. So we'll have to reassess our priorities. Sometimes you have to learn how to say no to something that you previously said yes to. And that's hard. That's hard because people count on it. When you've, said, when you've always said yes in the past, they're going to expect you to continue saying yes. But sometimes you have to say no to something. Just this last week, and I've been going like crazy, been working real hard at the church, but then it was also camp meeting week. Elizabeth's been driving back and forth to Lexington for camp meeting. I've gone down on the nights when I was free to go, and I chose one day this week. I chose Thursday. I had nothing else on the schedule, and I said, I'm not going to do anything else on Thursday. I'm just going to take this night to chill, to relax, maybe go to bed early, catch up a little bit on some sleep, and wouldn't you know it, Another youth pastor from town calls me up. Hey, I'm going to go down to Buffalo Wild Wings with my pastor and, and music pastor, and we wanted to know if you wanted to join us, go watch the basketball game. And it sounded like fun. One, I like chicken wings, all right? That's, I'm never going to pass up chicken wings. 
Two, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the NBA, but I like to watch a good ball game every now and then. And the company sounded like fun. I like hanging out with those guys. But I sat there and I said, you know, I had already kind of, even though I didn't have plans, I had made plans. I had made a space. And, and I told them, I said, I'm going to have to take a rain check. I'm going to have to do the next one. And, and Elizabeth asked me, she said, well, why didn't you go out with them? I said, you know what? I just needed to say no to at least one thing. <laughs> you know, you say yes so much, you come to a place where you just need to say no sometimes. And sometimes the opposite is true. Sometimes you say no, 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 when you need to be saying yes. So you need to assess those things. You know, how many times has pastor come to you and said, hey, why aren't you up here singing? You know, why aren't you helping us in the Greek? You like to talk. You can get out there and talk to people in the foyer. And you say, no, 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 that's not me. I don't like talking to strangers. I don't like getting up in front of people. But you, what you need to be saying is yes. You need to be saying, you know, I don't know if that's for me or not, but I'm going to try. I'll give it a try. I'm willing to serve wherever I can help. We're going to have to establish new routines new habits, and new family traditions. You know, when we first got married, uh, we used to alternate Thanksgiving and Christmas with the two different families. So we'd spend Thanksgiving with her family, Christmas with mine, and then the next year we'd flip-flop. And we actually kind of worked it out with her brothers and sisters so that we were all on the same rotation, so we were all there together, so that we could have at least one big family thing. But we decided that that didn't really work for us. We didn't really like the fact that we were having to travel every Christmas because before we moved to Louisville and we were close to, to mom and dad, we would have to travel to see her parents on Christmas and then we would have to travel to see my parents on Christmas. And we decided, you know, Thanksgiving's not as big a deal, but we really wanted to create a family tradition of Christmas for us. We wanted to be able to wake up on that Christmas morning and, and see that. And so we kind of changed our pattern. And so now we spend every Thanksgiving with her family and we spend Christmas with mine just because they're the close one. That way we can still do our Christmas tradition and then still go spend time with family as well. So, you know, and, and that could have been a difficult thing, you know. For some people, tr holidays and, and traditions and all that, if you start messing with the family traditions, you're going to get it, right? But, but we have to be willing to look at some of our family traditions and say, these aren't good things, or this isn't the best thing, all right? And, and so... When we, try to do, when we try to make some of these changes, when we reassess our priorities, it's very difficult because you're fighting years of ingrained, pre-programmed habits that you've been doing for a long time, you know, and, and without even thinking about it, you're, you're already doing it. Um, and, and it just, it won't be easy, but it's necessary if you're going to be a tra transitional person in your family. I don't know if you've noticed, but people can be a little stubborn, Right? We gripe and we complain when we're faced with change, even if we know, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that making this change is the better thing for us, right? It would be better for me if I didn't drink soda. It would be better for me if I got up off my tail end in the evenings and, and went and did something, right? I know that it would be better. I know it would get me closer to, to how I want to be physically, but I don't make that change. Why? Because it's hard to go against that ingrained habit. I've built, I've got 34 years of worth of pattern that I'm bucking when I try to change that. So if you're going to be your family's transitional person, you're going to have to make a decision, put the plan in motion, and then just accept that you're going to have to put up with some belly aching, right? You're going to have to wake those kids up that don't want to get up on Sunday morning and don't want to get ready for church, and you're going to have to flip the mattress and say, I don't care if you're tired. I don't care if you stayed up till 4 in the morning playing Xbox. We're going to church, all right? It, you're going to have to do that. You might have to say to your mom, hey, listen, 
I, I, I can't be there that whole time. I've got to work. You know, our family needs the money or whatever. You, you might have to do those kinds of things, and you might have to hear about it for a while. But if you're going to be that transitional person, if you're going to make positive changes in your family, you, you have to just know that it's going to be worth it and, and push on through. The third way that you become a transitional person is that you replace toxic influences in your life with positive ones. Um, I'm not talking about just cutting people off, right? Now, we can all probably think of someone in our life that might be described as a toxic person, right? They're, they're negative. They always see the, the, the sour side of things. They, they don't believe like you do. And so when you say, well, I'm going to go volunteer at my church this week, they're like, what are you even doing that for? You're just another sheep being, you know, uh, hoodwinked by some, some preacher, you know? Or, or they might say, you know, well, why, why would you choose to say no to this? Uh, and, and it's because their priorities aren't the same as yours. And rather than looking at it from your perspective and seeing, you know, well, that probably would be a good thing for that family... They're just thinking about it from their perspective. And so sometimes we have to change that relationship. Now, like I said, we're not always talking about like a clear cut. I'm not saying you delete them from your friends list, delete their contact from your phone, and never respond to them again. But you do have to recognize that they, their potential for having a negative influence for, for, on you. And then you have to begin to set some boundaries that will limit that influence so that it won't pull you down. Okay, um, in those situations, we have to train ourselves to be aware. And, and so when they start in with those things, saying those things, doing those things that, that don't line up with where you want to be, then you, try, you set those boundaries and you say, we're not going to cross them. Um, I'm reminded, I read a story recently of, of a husband and wife. And uh, they had been married for a few years, had been trying and trying and trying to have children, and they were unable to have children. And so they decided they were going to adopt. And they adopted a, a little boy. And, and this little boy was not of the same race that they were. And the problem was is that the husband's family had a, a long history of racist attitudes. And um, so these racist attitudes began to manifest when they went to the family gatherings. They go to the family reunion. They go to Christmas. They go to Thanksgiving. And, and you know, people are making comments or or treating them differently, or treating that young boy differently. And uh, this couple had to let that family know that this behavior is unacceptable. You know, if you love us, and if you value us as a part of your family, you're going to have to change some things. And it, get, it got to the point where they eventually had to issue an ultimatum, and they said, listen, if you guys do not, con or if you do not stop with these attitudes, if you do not stop with the comments, if you do not stop with the treating the grandchildren differently and all that kind of stuff, then we're going to have to choose to withdraw ourselves from these family gatherings because our goal is to protect our child. Our goal is to do what's best for him. And they had to stand up. And you got to know that wasn't a comfortable situation to be in. You know it's got to be hard to stand up to mom and dad and say, hey, this ain't going to fly. But if they are going to do their job as a parent, sometimes they have to set that boundary and be willing to, to follow through on it. Beyond, though, just distancing ourselves from negative influences, we have to replace those negative influences with positive ones. See, God created us in such a way that we can't flourish on our own. We need other people. We need people around us who can build us up, who can support us, who can be there for us when we're going through a rough time. And um, if we are going to be all that God desires for us to be, we need others to inspire us, to challenge us, to keep us accountable and push us to new heights. 
Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says it like this. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, that is the day of His return, nearing. You know, this world's getting crazier and crazier. And... You know, I'm not up here trying to preach that Christians are persecuted because I got to tell you, compared to some places in this world, we've got it good here in America. But the the environment, the the uh, the, the milieu that we live in is increasingly hostile to our worldview, and so that's why it's all the more important that we stand firm and we stand together and we say, listen, you can call us what you want, but we love you. And we love each other, and we're just trying to live for God no matter what. And, and if you don't have that support group around you, though, you can, your, your resolve can begin to weaken. It, it can eat away at you until eventually, you know, the, the foundation of your faith crumbles because you need those neighbors standing next to you. You know, one brick is not all that strong. You, you, I've seen people on the Internet break a, break a cinder block with their forehead, right? So one brick's not all that great, but you put that brick and you stack it with some other bricks, and you join them together with some cement, and man, that's a, that's a force to be reckoned with, right? So, you know, it's very important that we don't, um, don't just withdraw the negative things, negative influences from our life, but also replace them with positive ones. There's an old saying that I love, and that's, work smarter, not harder, right? And life is hard enough on its own. We don't need to go and make it harder by trying to reinvent the wheel. And, um, you know, if you look around you in this church, there are a lot of brothers and sisters in this Christ, uh, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ in this congregation that have walked that road that you're currently on. You know, maybe maybe you're dealing with a a terminal illness of of a family member. You know what? There's people in this congregation that have dealt with that. Maybe you're dealing with, like Pastor was sharing earlier, a family with with a child that's having substance abuse problems and and addiction and all that. There's families in this church that have walked that road before. And and even if there's no one else in this congregation that has specifically gone through the situation that you are currently going through, we can still be there for each other, love each other, support each other in prayer. And so, um, I mean, that's how it is. Life is hard enough on its own. Why not take advantage of the resources that God has placed in your life? And that resource is your church family. See, sometimes our real life family, our biological family, our adoptive family, whatever kind of situation you come out of, sometimes that family's not adequate. Sometimes they don't provide us the things we need. You know, some, it's just a, a, it's a sad fact, but it is a fact. There are fathers who are not very good fathers. There are mothers who are not very good mothers. There are families that are torn apart by fighting and and bickering and and, uh, verbal abuse and emotional abuse and manipulation and all those kinds of things. And so, you know, when those things are going on in your real family, you need a surrogate family that can take your place. And that's why I love the fact that each and every one of you, I count as my brother or sister in Christ. And I know that if I'm in need, I can come to you and that you'll be there with me. And you may not be able to help me with my specific situation, all right, but you will be able to love me, to support me, to pray for me. And don't think that if, if all someone can do for you is pray for you, don't think that that's nothing because prayer is powerful. Prayer changes situations. 
And so even if all that person can do is say, God, be with this person, if all they can do is just think about you and support you in prayer throughout the day, that is an invaluable contribution to your life. The last step, if you want to be a transitional person in your life, and if musicians want to come on up, I'm going to wrap it up here. But the last step, if you want to be a transitional person in your family, is to stay committed. It's easy to set a goal. It's a completely different thing to actually follow through on it, right? That's the reason why our New Year's resolutions are the same thing from year to year to year. I've been trying to lose that same 30 pounds for the last 10 years, you know? And I'm sure some of you guys are the same. And, and it's funny, you know, we, we, we get all fired up. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to make a change. You know, I'm going to get organized this year. I'm going to file my taxes on time this year. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take better care of this car. I'm going to, I'm going to actually put in that garden that I've been meaning to put in. We, we have all these good intentions, but... We don't follow through on them. Why? Because our willpower is limited. Our willpower is weak. Our willpower can't get the job done. Um, it, it's funny. You, you look at people who always, around January, people are trying to get healthy. They're changing their eating habits. They're, they're going to the gym. And I would wager that gym owners probably make enough in January and February to operate all year long, right? But by March, those people aren't there anymore. <laughs> That's just the truth. That's how it works. You know, we, we have good intentions. We start strong, but we have a whole lot harder time finishing strong. And so if we're going to stay committed, if you're going to make a change in your family, if you're going to be a transitional person in your family, then you have to stay committed. We have to remind ourselves of why we're doing what we're doing. And uh, we think about those who are coming behind us. You know, if you're a parent, it's real easy to look at your child and say, you know, I want them to have it better than I had it. I don't want them. Did, is everything okay? Oh, there I am. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's easy to look at them and say, you know, I want them to have better opportunities than I had. I don't want them to have to, to go, you know, thousands of dollar into debt, dollars into debt when they go to college. I don't want them to have to deal with uh, some of the issues that I had to deal with in my childhood. And, and so we, we have to use that. And even if you're not a parent, you're still a member of a family. And, and although in our society, family isn't as important as it used to be, we don't all live together, we don't all work together, it's not always a joint thing like Pastor was sharing. You know, some families end up spread all over the country. But you're still a part of a family. And even if you're not a parent, you can make a difference in how the life of your family is lived out. But there is a poem that encapsulates this idea very well. And it might be a little corny, right? But, you know, because poems are corny. Uh, granted, I'm not a big poetry reader, but I liked this one, and I thought it would be appropriate for Father's Day. It says, A careful man I want to be, a little fellow follows me. I do not dare to go astray, for fear he'll go the selfsame way. I cannot once escape his eyes. Whatever he sees me do, he tries. Like me, he says he's going to be this little chap that follows me. He thinks that I am good and fine, believes in, in my every word of mine. The base in me he must not see, this little chap who follows me. I must remember as I go through summer sun and winter snow, I'm building for the years to be that little chap who follows me. And when we look at our children and when we look at the young people that are parts of our family, you know, 
we should just be burdened for them. Because I don't know about you guys, but things are a lot worse today than they were in the 80s and 90s when I was growing up. And it doesn't look like it's going to get any better. You know, there have been times in my life when I've looked at Ben and I've said, buddy, I'm sorry that you have to put up with the things that you have to put up with when you go to school each day. I'm sorry that you have to see those things that are plastered all over TV and in music and and those foul words that they're just everywhere. You know, it's it's insidious. The the devil has got his hooks into into this world and he's not letting go and he's going to do everything he can to sully everything that he comes in contact with. But when we think about our children, that's a huge responsibility. You know, when my son was born and they placed him in my arms for the first time, I couldn't talk, couldn't speak even. I just went over and I sat down in a chair and and I just cried. And, you know, I think Elizabeth even asked me, she's like, are you okay? But what it was is, is the weight of the responsibility of fatherhood, it all hit me like a ton of bricks right there. Um... You know, I worried about what's going to happen to Ben if I fail as a father? What's going to happen to Elizabeth if, if I don't support her as a mother in the way she's supposed to be? What if I don't raise him correctly and God is disappointed in me? And I was, I, I just, I couldn't even believe that God would entrust me because I know how much of a failure I am. I know how many times I mess things up. Um, but the fact that he would entrust me with so great a task and so great a responsibility just overwhelmed me. I felt honored. And I felt unworthy. And I felt overwhelmed. All these mix of emotions, they all hit me at the same time. And all I could do was just sit in the corner and cry. You know? Now, if that makes me lose a few man points, if you've got to punch a few of them off there, that's okay. Uh, I can take it. I've got a few extra I can get rid of, right? Woo! All right. But... See, the wonderful part about fatherhood is I don't have to do it on my own. I don't have to, you know, I have people around me that are helping me to raise Ben. I have godly grandparents that pray over him and watch over him. And and they're trying to influence him the same way I'm trying to influence him. There are people in our church who volunteer to work in our children's ministry that have had an impact on his life. And so I'm not having to do it all on my own. And beyond that, I have God to help me. I have the Holy Spirit to guide me. I have God to to give me the right things to say, to know the right things to do that will help him to grow into the man of God that God God desires him to be. I can lean on God's promises. Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2 says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. And all these blessings, listen to this, shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And the image I have here, right there, is like a predator, right? It's like you're running through the savannah and there's a lion on your heels and you you can't get away from him. He's too fast. He's going to catch you. But this isn't a predator coming to devour you. This is God chasing you down because He wants to heap blessing upon your life. And so my question for you today is this. Are you willing to do the things that you have to do to change the course of your family? 
Are you willing to stand up and be that transitional person in your family? Now, we like to put on the the pretty picture. We like everybody to think everything's grand and wonderful in our life. So if you all will, will help me for just a second, can I get everybody to stand to your feet? And it's time to get honest with each other, right? If we're family, we can trust each other. If we love each other, it's time to get honest. And so I'm going to ask you some questions. And if I mention something that is an issue in your family, I want you to put your hand up. And if more than one of these things is an issue in your problem, go ahead and put both hands up. Okay? And if you got four or five of them, Well, you don't have four or five arms, but I don't know. Maybe you can lift a foot. I don't know. But I want you guys to put your hand up, and I want you to keep it up, okay? So how many of you guys in your family have a history of broken and failed marriages? If that's a history or pattern in your family, I want you to raise your hand. How many of you have a pattern of abuse, whether that's physical emotional, verbal, or neglect, some form of abuse is a pattern in your family. Raise your hand. Substance abuse or addiction, if that's been an issue in your family, I want you to raise your hand. Financial instability, crippling debt, foreclosures, bankruptcy, if that's been an issue in your family, I want you to raise your hand. Unhealthy lifestyles, um, unhealthy thinking patterns, unhealthy mental health patterns. If those have been an issue in your family, I want you to raise your hand. Negative personality traits. People who tear people down and, and uh, negative thinking that doesn't focus on the promises and the goodness of God. If that's been an issue in your family, I want you to raise your hand. And I need my hands to go up too. Alright? Both of my hands. Probably 14 of my toes. Okay? I want, if you're in the front of this church, I want you to turn around and look around and see how many people have their hands in the air. Now, if you look on Facebook, if you look on Twitter, if you look in family photo albums, you're not going to see all these issues in people's families. But they're real and they're out there. And we have a lot of families in this church, represented in this church, that need a transition. We have been called to make a difference in the world. We've been called to influence others. We've been called to point people to Christ. And the best place you can do that is to start with your own family. And so today, I want all of us to pray one for another. And to pray that we can do those things, to make those hard choices, to stand firm in the face of opposition and be that transitional person that gets your family off of that railroad track that's headed towards the cliff and be that switchman that flips it over and gets it back on the right way. And so we're going to pray today.